Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Is that a Buddy Holly song? <laughs> wait, I'm now I'm second guessing myself. <laughs> oh, wait, are you really asking? Yes. Yes, yes okay. that is Every Day by Buddy Holly. <laughs> I started singing it, and I immediately went, is this just a weird thing to be singing right now? <laughs> yeah. Yep. No, okay. that is that is every day. Um, by um, Budward G. Holificent. Budward G. Holificent is that yeah. the uh, the wizard the wizard name of Buddy Holly? That's the wizard name. Yeah. Um, we've been giving him lots of names over oh. the process. Primarily, he's referred to as Bibbity Hibbity. Bibbity Hibbity. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, Bubby Hollowitz. Bubby Hall. So that's his Jewish name. Yeah. 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 That's when he goes to audition for uh, Fiddler on the Roof and mm-hmm. wants to get cast. Um, so he gives himself a Jewish E sounding name. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Something like that. I, it's like it's that. either that or it's the like Buddy Kosher. <laughs> he's like. Like he's, he's the kosher version of Buddy Holly. He's the one that you can bring to Seder. <laughs> And I would say that I'm pretty sure Buddy Holly is the kosher version of Buddy Holly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, now I might learn something when I come see your show, but as far as I remember from when I saw the show when I was like, you know, nine in London, he's a pretty family friendly fella. (laughs) Certainly the version that you get in this play is pretty family friendly. And we have been explicitly told that in our sort of background improvisations, um, the just the 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 stuff that we say we're not allowed to we're not allowed to curse yes we're not allowed to say god we're not allowed to say g we're not allowed to reference religion in any way so you're in mormon country because so all of the goddammits have been stricken from the show oh there's goddammits in the show did you say those in the other versions yeah oh Yeah, uh, but there's it's because um, you're in Mormon well, and country. It and happens. there's 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 a line where someone says something about um god awful piece of garbage. Not and allowed to say god awful. That's cut. It is oh. now the most um skillet licking terrible. <laughs> Wowza. Which wow. I think actually sounds way more explicit. I don't e- what is what is skillet licking? <laughs> I don't know, but it sounds dirty. It does sound really dirty. Well, that was like, so you're doing the version that, well, see, we the only thing we had to change in Footloose for the cruise was the fuck, which is in literally the first scene of the play. And, right. and Ren is supposed to say, where the fuck where is the Beaumont? Fuck is Beaumont? Which really like establishes his character. But instead yeah. we said, we had to say, where the hell is Beaumont? And just like, just not the same, yeah. <laughs> but you know, you gotta, you gotta keep those, those, uh, conservative money people, uh, happy. Cause you know, they're willing to destroy the country and everybody around them, but God forbid you use the word God or fuck. <laughs> skillet liquor forbid. Skillet liquor. Skillet for- liquor forbid. Skillet liquor forbid that you use the words G O D <laughs> or F U C K. See you next Tuesday, motherfuckers. So, hey there, listeners. Welcome to Theater Watch, where we discuss censorship in family-friendly theater. Or censorship in general, I guess. But, yeah. But, yeah, so... What do you think sounds... What do you think sounds dirtier? God-awful or skillet-licking? Which do you find more offensive? Please, genuinely, please write in and tell us. Or, better yet, ooh, here we go. Um... Listener competition. What is the most sort of offensive sounding phrase you can think of that isn't actually offensive? Oh, that's good. Okay. Like- right? Skillet licking. It sounds offensive. It sounds dirty. It sounds kind of sexual, but it's not. Yeah. It's just something that I do after I make pancakes. You, you lick the skillet? Doesn't that hurt? <laughs> 
Well, I wait for it to cool down first. Damn, baby. I'm not an idiot. I'm an idiot. But I like not that kind of idiot. Yeah. Not that kind of idiot. I stuck my tongue to a frozen flagpole when I was a child. Of course you did, because you lived in care- Minnesota. Oh well, yeah. If you and didn't was, do that actually, at some point, like and, and it actually it wasn't a frozen flagpole. I had heard as a kid that you're not supposed to stick your tongue on frozen metal, on cold metal, but I didn't know why. Nobody explained to me what would happen. And so I'm sitting on the bus and the metal window frame is frozen and i'm like i wonder what'll happen if uh oh oh this hurts you oh, are this is not good you oh, are okay. the child from <laughs> a christmas story okay cool <laughs> <laughs> um and i tried breathing on it really heavy to like melt the ice but that didn't work eventually i just pulled my tongue off and i lost a couple of chunks of uh a couple of chunks of skin off the tip, tip of my tongue <laughs> yeah I'm yeah, not going to lie. It was bad. I'm not going to lie. So I never lived in a frozen climate until well after I was of the thinking of the knowledge of what happens because we moved to Iowa when I was 14. Right. Um, so I, you know, I knew what would happen. But every time I see frozen metal, I do have the like little bit of an urge to pull the like the Christmas story. The like, I'm yeah. going to be like, what's that feel like? What, what's not? it f- like? And, like, it is beyond every, like, uh, rational thought in my mind, but I still mm-hmm. want to do it. <laughs> so what you do, if if you just, if you really need to know what it feels like, what you do is you plan ahead and you go out with a cup of, like, hot, hot coffee. Okay. Because then and you pour that on it. it. And then you pour it down in front of you and it'll melt all the ice. I feel like that would also hurt in its own way. Well, yeah. Because <laughs> you're also pouring hot coffee on your mouth and your <laughs> face. And you're like. Um, you're only pouring it on your face if you have really terrible aim. Well, I mean, you are stuck to the flagpole. I'm imagining <laughs> you're trying to like self-pour. You're going to like have some backsplash. That's all I'm thinking. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, well, let's stick around for next winter, everybody. Welcome to Campfire Classics. So what do we do? Um, So please, so please do um, uh, message us. Uh, Shoot a message to 5050artsproduction at gmail.com or find Campfire Classics on any of the social media and tell us what is the most offensive sounding inoffensive phrase you can think of. Um, Extra points if it has something to do with your tongue. I'm sure a couple of them will. <laughs> uh, oh, and while you're at it, um, go ahead and like and follow and subscribe and leave us a review. Give us some stars. Uh, type up a review even better. Yeah. Um, just because that helps us out. Um, if you are new to the podcast, you should know that this is not ordinarily a um quite so tongue obsessed as this episode has been so usually far. much more penis obsessed than tongue it's but, usually yeah. way more penis obsessed than tongue obsessed <laughs> but you know what typically but they're i mean we're branching the out is kind of phallic shaped we're branching out this is it's good both end up in mouths sometimes <laughs> if you're doing it right i guess <laughs> you know if you're living the good life <laughs> Oh, skill licking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, But that's not what we do here. I mean, it's kind of what we do. It's kind of what we do. I mean, what we do technically is we read we read some stories and we comment on them. But uh, we also, you know, make a lot of inappropriate jokes. Yeah, that- I guess it is. It's it, it is right in line. I don't know why every week I say this isn't what we do when I'm like, well, yeah, it fuck it is. It actually is what we do. It's absolutely it's not, what we it do. It is not. It is not the uh, the purpose of the podcast, but we ourselves absolutely do this every week. So the purpose of the podcast, um, for those of you who are new, and if we're doing our jobs right, every episode is somebody's first episode. Um, What we do is we take turns reading short stories, sight unseen. We give them a cold read for you, the listener, and we just try to muscle our way through these stories that we have pulled out of public domain. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we pulled them out of public domain for two reasons. One, because they're free and we can't get sued for using them. And two, because stories in public domain tend to be a little bit older and therefore have language that we'll maybe have to look up or that maybe is a penis joke now that wasn't 170 years ago when the story was written. 170 years ago? We haven't done many of those. <laughs> no, we've done a few, though. We have done a few. I was going to say, we've okay, well, now the next we've one I get you like, is going to be rolled. <laughs> It's gonna like be like 1850s. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring in one from like Greek times next. Time. <laughs> yes, yes. Have me sitting here trying to decipher ancient Greek. There you go. And it, yeah, it's not gonna be translated because yep. you know. <laughs> and All you'll get is It's like when I gave you that one story that was written in dialect. Um, well, it was written in Gaelic. It was written in Gaelic. <laughs> I did not realize it because again. Part of what we do on here is the stories we read are sight unseen by not only the reader, but the chooser of the story, which is me this week. So uh, I was not aware that the story was in Gaelic. And you did quite well, actually. Thank you. But no amount of drinking Guinness is going to make me able to read Gaelic. No, I'm pretty sure there's no Gaelic in this one, though our author this week is uh, Irish. Ooh, that sounds like a good segue. Oh, look what I did. (laughs) Welcome to the fun facts portion of the episode, where Heather is going to tell us some fun facts that'll get us in the mood. In the mood for story time. So so I, I had an idea of where I wanted to go this week, and I changed ideas like seven times because I kept like finding something else that I was like, oh, maybe this person or oh, maybe this story. And then it randomly led me to this person, which we have not covered before. So I went from like four authors that we had covered that I wanted to cover again and found Vincent James O'Sullivan. Yeah, that sounds like a new name to me. It's new. Uh, Mr. Vincent James O'Sullivan. Vinny J. Vinny J. was an American-born writer, so don't confuse him if you Google him right now. There is also a Vincent O'Sullivan who is a current writer from New Zealand. That's not who we're doing. <laughs> okay. So this is the American-born writer that was born in 1868 or 18... 18- uh, uh, 67, depending on the source. <laughs> so sure, he was born around then. <laughs> There's some confusion, but he was born yeah. in New York City. Okay. Um, so he uh was a poet and a writer. He was a first generation Irish immigrant with his father Eugene. His father made a fortune in the coffee trade. So we love Eugene O'Sullivan. <laughs> Like him. All <laughs> Loving right. him. Irish coffee. Irish coffee, baby. Um, his father also founded the Long Island College Hospital. And when his father passed away in 1892, when uh, Vincent was about roughly, let's see, how old would he be there? Let's, uh, in his mid-20s. Uh, he left him approximately $1 million, him and all his brothers. So there was a family inheritance. Yeah. So as a first, first uh, generation Irish immigrant, doing pretty good. So Papa (laughs) did all right. Papa did okay. So he was taking- Well, everybody likes coffee. Exactly. And everybody likes a good hospital that teaches people how to be better at at being- Doctors. Like, so we have him to thank for Starbucks and the TV show Scrubs. Eugene O'Sullivan. Thank you, sir. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Vincent got a very good education. He uh, he was schooled in New York. And then his brother and him left uh, to go to England to go to Catholic Oscott School, which is like a private school. And then in 1892, O'Sullivan, I'm going to use the word that I found in the uh, the wiki article because I love this word, matriculated. <laughs> sure. Studied. Yeah. I just love, like, it's such a fancy, snotty word for I studied at. Uh, and he did study at Oxford, so let's be real. <laughs> so he definitely matriculated. So he, he, he probably used the word matriculated. He matriculated. Uh, Have you matriculated? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes. I went to Oxford. Did. But Mr. Vincent O'Sullivan was not super into it because he studied barely a term before he was like, fuck this, I'm going to go be a writer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, Vinny J. 
Vinny, Vinny, Vinny J. O'Sullivan. He was like, bye. Um, so Vinny J. He, O'Sullivan. He sounds like an actor who does a whole bunch of Guy Ritchie movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. He he's kind of like this this brutish guy, or or he does um, what's the um the the guy that does all the like uh, uh Boondock Saints and all that stuff. Like the he sounds like he'd be in that kind of movie. I know. Yes. Um. I can't even think of it right now. Troy Duffy. Troy Duffy. I don't. That's yep. not what I'm thinking. But like I'm thinking of like Martin McDonough type. You know, like very like. Yeah. Dirty, like Irish, like yeah. uh what's the Gangs of New York? Like he feels like he's in those kind yeah, all those movies yeah, yeah, and Guy yeah. Ritchie movies and stuff. Yeah. Um, but no, he was just a, a humble writer. Uh and a humble writer with a million dollars in the eighteen nineties. Wait for it. Um so oh <laughs> so he went off and he remained in London. Uh he left Oxford, went to London and began to publish poems and essays. Um, in magazines and newspapers and whatever, like most of our writers. Like most of our uh, writers do, his, yeah. His first collection was published in 1896. So, okay. and I'm also going to use the phrase that I found in the article that I did the uh, the research on because I just love it. Like many aspiring young artists of the 90s. <laughs> okay. Now, we're talking the 1890s, y'all remember? So. I'm just like, sure. I just love that that's how it was phrased. Great. <laughs> because but, we all but, know, because we all know how young artists in the 90s were. <laughs> like, right. But so I'm wondering, how does that sentence end? Like many young artists in the 90s, what? He was a regular at Leonard Smithers Bookshop, <laughs> which apparently, we have not covered this, was a very popular hangout for Yates. Holbrook Jackson, uh, like other writers of the time, including Oscar Wilde, who became huh. a very good friend of Mr. O'Sullivan's. Okay. So, so this was like, it like was like many the, young artists. So like many young artists of the nineties, he liked to hang out at the Shake Shack or what, what was the place in the fucking, uh, what was in Saved by the, <laughs> the Bell? Shake Shack? No, <laughs> Shake Shack. It's like the sixties. No, I'm thinking like, in like Saved the by the Peach Bell, Pit? the Peach Pit. That's not that wasn't Saved by the Bell. That That's was nine hundred two one zero. I think nine hundred two one zero or Party yeah, of Five or Peach one of those Pit. other ones. Yeah, like one of those places. Yeah, because like or like think of every show you know in the nineties. They all hung out at like a coffee shop, like Friends, Gilmore Girls, Gilmore Girls. They all had a fucking coffee shop they hung out at. So like this is it is so young he artists. Really did go hang out at Starbucks. He really did go hang out at Starbucks. So he went to this coffee shop that had books. It was a bookshop that had coffee, I'm sure. Um, maybe dad supplied the coffee. I don't this know. This is the kind of place I would want to go hang out in New York. Right? <laughs> so he became very good friends with uh, Oscar Wilde. And Oscar Wilde, uh, after reading O'Sullivan's early poems, commented, and this is a direct quote, in what a midnight his soul seems to walk and what maladies he draws from the moon. <laughs> so, <laughs> a little dark, a little dark. A little dark. I'm also just going to say most of the writers who spend time hanging out with Oscar Wilde have a history of getting pulled into some kind of scandal or other. Um... I, I I did not find anything that okay. that now I okay I'm not going to give it away. Maybe here. he was he was too moody. He was too moody. He was very broody. So he also had another quote. Now this is also from Oscar Wilde. Um, so Oscar Wilde's other quote about him is very funny and very British. It says he was really very pleasant for one who treats life from the standpoint of the tomb, a man of great nobility, an American, but without any trace of Americanism. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, I, I can kind of sense this guy very dark and very like uh, very moody and very British, apparently. For a moody jack-off yank, he wasn't awful. <laughs> we hung out with him. He was fine. So Vincent uh, clearly lived comfortably. He was hanging out at the bookstore and the peach pit and, like, writing his poems and his books. And he had quite a few things published. And uh, 
he was doing fine until 1909 when he lost his family fortune because his brother Percy made a very mistimed gamble in the New York Coffee Exchange, which I'm guessing is like the stock exchange. Like they were like probably went public for coffee. Yeah, for sure. coffee. Um, but yeah, so the family was ruined. He lost all of his money and remained poor for the rest of his life. So despite he, a lot of his friends helped him out because they knew what had happened to him. You know, it wasn't due to lack of, he wasn't, it wasn't like he wasn't working. Right. He, he just didn't like, fuck it up. he didn't fuck it up. His brother did. Um, and of course now we're starting to head into the depression era and like all this stuff. So like, it's, you know, slowly it's not going well. So Oscar Wilde and a couple friends like assisted him financially here and there when he hadn't sold a story in a while and whatnot. But he basically lived on like what we would consider like food stamps and like the Salvation Army, basically. So he lived huh. in these low income housings. Uh, one of them was the Nouvelle Hotel um, in in Paris was someplace he ended up for a while. Things went bad to worse. He uh, continued to write, but he had a couple injuries. So he had to go to the hospital and then he got moved to another hotel through the Salvation Army and then of course the depression hit and then you know World War One and had had already hit and now World War Two is rolling around so like I didn't cover any of this time in the next you know the next like 30 years because right, he right. was writing he was surviving but things weren't going great and in 1940 he was back in the Hotel Novell which is like he'd been bouncing around for like 35 years uh, 35 years in like these Salvation Army hotels and he took ill on July 11th, 1940 and was admitted to a hospital where he died on July 26th. Hmm. He was buried in a pauper's grave at the hospital's expense because like... he didn't have any money. He didn't have any money and his, his family like was all in America still and like so... It's actually quite hard to find information about him. I like was doing a lot of research, but I found a couple really good um, essays on him written by like scholars, like literature scholars, but like his Wikipedia page isn't super packed, but uh, his stories, I found this quote that was really nice in one of the uh, essays I was reading. Even in a collection that includes such figures as Bram Stoker, Vernon Lee, etc., O'Sullivan's prose is vivid, flowing, and capable of deathly sudden twists. So, I'm excited for this. So, you are going to be reading one of O'Sullivan's stories today called The Interval. The Interval. Yes. That can mean several things. It sure can. And it was, uh, at least uh, the version I have, it says it was first published in the Boston Evening Transcript. Okay. So, cool. all right. The interval. Let's start this fire. Let's do the interval and start the fire. <laughs> the interval by Vinnie J. O'Sullivan. <laughs> Vinnie J. O'Sullivan. <laughs> From the Boston Evening Transcript. Mrs. Wilton passed through a little alley leading from one of the gates, which are around Regent's Park, and came out on the wide and quiet street. She walked along slowly, peering anxiously from side to side so as not to overlook the number. She pulled her furs closer around her. After her years in India, this London damp seemed very harsh. Still, it was not a fog today. A dense haze, gray and tinged ruddy, lay between the houses, sometimes blowing (laughs) with a... Tinged ruddy sounds kind of (laughs) dirty. Going back to our pre-show chat. (laughs) Show me your tinged ruddy, baby. (laughs) Tinged ruddy could also be... um, This, the, I, 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 I'm, I'm going to say this and decide if I fit in <laughs> later when I listen to it back. Tinged ruddy could also be what happens to a young lady's underwear the first time she Ew. experiences her. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> so, 
Either way, it sounds dirty. <laughs> Either way, it's not clean. All right. she's. It's a dense haze, gray and tinged ruddy. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> a dense haze, gray and tinged ruddy, lay between the houses, sometimes blowing with a little wet kiss against the face. Mrs. Wilton's hair and eyelashes and her furs were powdered with tiny drops, but there was nothing in the weather to blur the sight. She could see the faces of people some distance off and read the signs on the shops. So Mrs. Wilton is standing in front of this place, wet and tinged ruddy. Okay, yep. cool. Great. We're, good in a, we're in a good place. Covered in fur. Hot. <laughs> She's a wet furry. Wet furry! <laughs> Before the door of a dealer in antiques and secondhand furniture, she paused and looked through the shabby, unclean window at an unassorted heap of things, many of them of great value. She read the Polish name fastened on a pane in white letters. Yes, this is the place. This is creepy. I don't know what's going on in this place. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, here I am from India in my furs, wet and walking to this creepy antique place. All right, here we go. She opened the door, which met her entrance with an ill-tempered jangle. From somewhere in the black depths of the shop, the dealer came forward. He had a clammy white face with a sparse black beard and wore a skull cap with spectacles. Mrs. Wilton spoke to him in a low voice. A look of complicity, of cunning, perhaps of irony, passed through the dealer's cynical and sad eyes, but he bowed gravely and respectfully. Ew, what did she say? What did she say? We, we don't know. We're only oh going to hear his response. Fuck. <laughs> yes, she is here, madam. Whether she will see you or not, I do not know. She is not always well. She has her moods. And then we have to be so careful. The police, not that they would touch a lady like you, but the poor alien has not much chance these days. Oh my God, who is in the shop? Who are they hiding? A little gray man. <laughs> a little alien. <laughs> I'm sure that was the, the version of alien he used and not uh, someone from a different country. Not, I'm yeah, sure. not foreigner. No, 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 no. It's a little gray person. Yeah. Yeah. Mrs. Wilton followed him to the back of the shop where there was a winding staircase. She knocked over a few things in her passage and stooped to pick them up. But the dealer kept muttering, it does not matter. Surely it does not matter. He lit a candle. Ew. You must go up these stairs. They are very dark. Be careful. <laughs> When you come to a door, open it and go straight in. Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. Like, go up these winding stairs. It's really dark. But then open a door and go inside. Yeah, that sounds... And the police might get involved. Um, and there's somebody in there who has their moods. Um, I don't know there's what this an is. Alien, there's a moody alien in there. <laughs> Just, also, you've been knocking over this dude's shit. I know, and he doesn't care. He's like, usually an antique person is pretty pissed when you knock over their shit. But yeah. this guy's like, I don't care. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just fucking go inside. Just get, just get inside. Just get the fuck out of my way. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Okay, here we go. He stood at the front of the stairs, holding the light high above his head, and she ascended. The room was not very large, and it seemed very ordinary. There were some flimsy, uncomfortable chairs in gilt and red. Two large palms were in the corners. Under a glass cover on the table was a view of Rome. Oh, we're in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know that. <laughs> well, no, we're, we're in London, but through the table is Italy. <laughs> oh, it's, it's like Alice in Wonderland. Okay. It's very wibbly-wobbly. Okay, great. Yeah. Cool. 
The room had not a business-like look, thought Mrs. Wilton. There was no suggestion of the office or waiting room where people came and went all day, yet you would not say that it was a private room which was lived in. There were no books or papers about. Every chair was in the place it had been placed when the room was last swept. There was no fire, and it was very cold. I don't to like the right this of- room. Why, why, why did we go in this room? Because <laughs> um, the guy told her to after she asked a question that we didn't get to hear. And what did I say? I said, no. <laughs> you said no. She said yes. Well, Clearly, you're a chicken shit. Um, excuse me. I think I'm just smart. <laughs> well, we'll see. I guess as we'll the story out. progresses. To the right to of the window was a door covered with a plush curtain. Mrs. Wilton sat down near the table and watched this door. She thought it must be through it that the soothsayer would come forth. Oh no! Oh no! It's a fortune teller story! <laughs> <laughs> the last one of these we had did not end well. No, and it was gross. I remember that one. That was a long time ago. <laughs> there was a lot of shit about raisins in it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Let's see if she, raisins come up if again. If raisins pop up, I'm going to freak the fuck out. I'm going to be like, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. She laid her hands listlessly, one on top of the other, on the table. This must be the tenth seer she had consulted since Hugh had been killed. <laughs> no! We just got a lot of information. <laughs> yep. She thought them over. No. This must be the eleventh. She had forgotten that frightening man in Paris who said he had been a priest. Ew, creepy. of them all, it was only he who had told her anything definite, but even he could do no more than tell the past. He told of her marriage. He even had the duration right, 21 months. He told, too, of their time in India. At least he knew that her husband had been a soldier and said he had been on service in the colonies. On the whole, though, he had been as unsatisfactory as the others. None of them had given her the consolation she sought. Oh, what she is she She did not want to for? be told of the past. If he was gone forever, then with him had gone all her love of living, her courage, all her better self. She wanted to be lifted out of that despair, the dazed, aimless drifting from day to day, longing at night for the morning and in the morning for the fall of night, which had been her life since his death. If somebody could assure her that it was not all over, that he was somewhere not too far away, unchanged from what he had been here, with his crisp hair and rather slow smile and lean brown face, that he saw her sometimes, that he had not forgotten her. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, so Mrs. Wilton's a little cray-cray. She's, like, lost her mind a little bit, and she's looking for proof of the afterlife. She's just distraught. She's, she needs, I think she needs some counseling and not 11 uh, soothsayers. <laughs> well, maybe this soothsayer is going to be a counselor. Maybe I'm going to go with, um, I don't know how good uh, mental health care was back in the 1800s. But, I you do. Know. I know how good it was. <laughs> yeah. They, it's called they electric shock therapy. batteries. Yes, Not great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so here we go. <laughs> oh, Hugh, darling. When she looked up again. Did she just have woman- an orgasm? <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that's what I was going for. So I'm glad you got that. <laughs> He's, he's there. He's he 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 came to her. He's <laughs> <laughs> he came to her. <laughs> he, he came to her. She came for him. You know. Yay! Oh, there is afterlife. Good. <laughs> Do you believe in, in life, life after, after love? love? I believe. Apparently, she believes in love after life. There you go. Let's find out. I I, I want to know. When she looked up again, the woman was sitting there before her. Mrs. Wilton had not heard her come in. 
With her experience, wide enough now, of seers and fortune-tellers of all kinds, she saw at once that this woman was different from the others. She was used to the quick appraising look, the attempts sometimes clumsy but often cleverly disguised to collect some fragments of information whereupon to erect a plausible vision. <laughs> but this woman looked as if she took it out of herself. I hate when people stare at me to try and erect a plausible vision. Yeah, and then take their erect vision out. That's like walking into the crew bar uh, by yourself as a woman. It's like you're just like erecting a lot of, uh, erecting yeah. many, many plausible visions. And do people whip out their erect visions? You know what? I don't know what they in do the in their cabins. Bar? I don't know what they do in their cabins. I got in and out of there as quickly as possible. <laughs> When I was by I myself. Think what, I think that's what they were trying to do, too, is get in and out as quick as possible. <laughs> but a ching. Hashtag cruise. Hashtag, uh, hashtag what? Ship life. That's, that's what I was looking for. <laughs> Not that her appearance suggested intercourse with the spiritual world more than the others had. It just keeps going. <laughs> we haven't had an ejaculation yet, but I want to point out we've had someone's wet. They're erect, and now there's intercourse being yep. spoken of. Okay, just yep, okay. Yep, yep. And, and, and she had an with orgasm. The spiritual world. And she had an orgasm yeah. thinking of her. She husband. came. Okay, she yeah. came. Okay, we're doing good. We're doing she good. Came, All well, right. Although she came silently. Yes. Well, the soothsayer came silently. That's. <laughs> it suggested that, in fact, considerably less. Some of the others were frail, yearning, evaporated creatures, and the ex-priest in Paris had something terrible and condemned in his look. He might well sup with the devil, that man, and probably did in some way or other, but this was a little, fat, weary-faced woman, about 50, who only did not look like a cook because she looked more like a sempstress. What's a sempstress? A seamstress? You are correct. Sempstress. Oh. Noun. Another term for seamstress. Hey, look at that. There, there we go. Now, I'm going to call all my costumer friends sempstresses from now on. They're going to be like, what semstress? the fuck? Are you? You're, are you are you our sempstress? They'll be like, what? <laughs> be like, I'm educated. I have a podcast. <laughs> are you our sempstress? Were you hit in the head? A few times. <laughs> But this was a little, fat, weary-faced woman, about 50, who only did not look like a cook because she looked more like a sempstress. Her black dress was all covered with white threads. Mrs. Wilton looked at her with some embarrassment. It seemed more reasonable to be asking a woman like this about altering a gown than about intercourse with the dead. <laughs> Just don't. Just don't. Just like... Don't talk about intercourse with the dead. It's a it's a crime. I mean, that is like quite literally it's li it's liter necrophilia. It's you well, I don't know if it was a crime in the 1800s. You were allowed to give people lobotomies for like. <laughs> I'm I don't know was 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 go was a dead person banging like illegal. I'm pretty sure digging up corpses and fucking them has always been illegal. What if he's not buried yet? <laughs> And maybe it wasn't illegal, but probably frowned upon. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sure you'd get some side eye. Yeah, 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 and it's not like socially acceptable, but you know, sometimes people are just like, ah, that's their thing. We just don't talk about it. <laughs> Mom, Dad, this is my boyfriend, Jim. Uh, um, he kind of has a smell, sweetheart. <laughs> what? I'm into zombies. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jim. Uh, my friends call me Dead Jim. Dead Jim. <laughs> Don't let the missing eyeball fool you. It's it's fine. She sucked it out last night. Anyway. Whoa. Uh! <laughs> Gross. Nope. That's there. We found it. That's the line right there. <laughs> did we did we find the line tonight? We found it. That's it. <laughs> Okay, she's it she's going to have intercourse with the dead. It seems to be asking a woman like this about altering a gown than about intercourse with the dead. That seemed even absurd in such a very commonplace presence. The woman seemed timid and oppressed. She breathed heavily and kept rubbing her dingy hands, which looked moist, one <laughs> over the other. <laughs> 
She was always wetting her lips and coughed with a little dry cough. Y'all, I can't make this shit up. (laughs) But in her, these signs of nervous exhaustion suggested overwork in a close atmosphere, bending too close over the sewing machine. Her uninterested hair, like a rat's pelt, was eked out with a false addition of another color. Some threads had got into her hair, too. Oh, it's a hard it's a hard life when you're a seamstress and a soothsayer. Yeah. A, you know, pulling double duty like that, being a single a single mother in the 1800s, man. It's a yeah. rough time. Apparently it makes you rub your moist stuff together. It makes you rub your moist lips together. <laughs> Her harried, uneasy look caused Mrs. Wilton to ask compassionately, "Are you much worried by the police?" Oh, <laughs> The police. Why don't they leave us alone? You never know who comes to see you. Why don't they leave me alone? I'm a good woman. I only think what I do is no harm to anyone. Um, I'm sorry, young lady. Um, thinking as a woman in the 1800s is a crime. <laughs> so by you thinking, we're not having that. <laughs> yeah, that's why they're after her. Yeah. That's, that's what, definitely why they're after her. She continued in an uneven, querulous voice, always rubbing her hands together nervously. She seemed to the visitor to be talking at random, just gabbling like children do sometimes before they fall asleep. I wanted to explain, hesitated Mrs. Wilton, but the woman with her head pressed against the back of the chair was staring beyond her at the wall. Her face had lost whatever little expression it had. It was blank and stupid. (laughs) That's rude. (laughs) Hey, stupid face. Hey, stupid. stupid. Tell me about intercourse. Come on. That's what I'm paying you for. stupid face. Tell me about intercourse with my dead husband. Hey, stupid, what do you think I'm here for, huh? (laughs) I'm Vinny J. O'Sullivan. What do you think I'm here for? (laughs) I'm here for inner corpse. (laughs) I did it. (laughs) I won. (laughs) When she spoke, it was very slowly, and her voice was guttural. Can't you see him? It seems strange to me that you can't see him. He is so near you. He's passing his arm around your shoulders. Uh. This was a frequent gesture of Hugh's, and indeed at that moment she felt that somebody was very near her, bending over her. She was enveloped in tenderness. Only a very thin veil, she felt, prevented her from seeing. But the woman saw. She was describing Hugh minutely, even the little things like the burn on his right hand. Is he happy? Oh, ask him, does he love me? You don't want to know this, lady. (laughs) The result was so far beyond anything she had hoped for that she was stunned. She could only stammer the first thing that came into her head. Does he love me? He loves you. He won't answer, but he loves you. He wants me to make you see him. He is disappointed, I think, because I can't. But I can't unless you do it yourself. After a while, she said, I think you will see him again. You think of nothing else. He is very close to us now. Then she collapsed and fell into a heavy sleep and lay there motionless, hardly breathing. Mrs. Wilton put some notes on the table and stole out on tiptoe. Wait, the fuck? Did Otome Brown just show up? Like, this is fucking like ghost. (laughs) Oh. I should have been doing a whoopee. No, you cannot do a whoopee for so many reasons, but <laughs> I, I just had some serious like flashback energy to the movie Ghost. <laughs> like, like, 
like when she's like when the guy goes into her body and she's like, ah, and then she falls. And she yeah. she's like, oh my god, get out of my body. <laughs> All right. Well, that was creepy. I love that she just left this woman passed out in a chair and was like, I'll just leave her some money. And like, bye. Well, that's that's what you're supposed to do, right? You just leave some cash on the nightstand? Leave cash on the nightstand because they uh, they explained intercourse to you. And, you know, yep. you, you're, you're a real woman now. <laughs> Girl, you'll be a woman soon. <laughs> wow. I I don't know. All right. It got cool. weird. <laughs> cool. Okay, so now where do we go from here? Let's She seemed to remember that downstairs in the dark shop, the dealer with the waxen face detained her to show her some old silver and jewelry and such like, but she did not come to herself. She had no precise recollection of anything till she found herself entering a church near Portland Place. That's probably a good place to go after what you just experienced. Yeah, um... I don't know where I would go after that. <laughs> be like, it was, uh, it was an unlikely act in her normal moments. Yeah, Why did to she go to go church? There? Yeah. yeah, well, fuck. I mean, like, uh-oh. She acted like one walking in her sleep. The church was old and dim with high black pews. Ew. There was nobody there. Mrs. Wilton sat down in one of the pews and bent forward with her face in her hands. I don't think Mrs. Wilton's even Catholic. She's just, I think she has been possessed by a demon. <laughs> let's, let's, let's see where this goes. Yeah. After a few minutes, she saw that a soldier had come in noiselessly and placed himself about a half dozen rows ahead of her. He never turned round, but presently she was struck by something familiar in the figure. First, she thought vaguely that the soldier looked like her Hugh. Then, when he put up his hand, she saw who it was. She hurried out of the pew and ran towards him. Oh, Hugh! Hugh! Have you come back? He looked round with a smile. He had not been killed. It was all a mistake. He was going to speak. Oh, shit. Footsteps sounded hollow in the empty church. She turned and glanced down the dim aisle. It was an old sexton or verger who approached. I thought I heard you call, he said. I was speaking to my husband. But Hugh was nowhere to be seen. He was here a moment ago. She looked about in anguish. He must have gone to the door. There's nobody here, said the old man gently. Only you and me. Ladies are often taken funny since the war. <laughs> rude! Fucking There rude. was one in here yesterday afternoon said she was married in this church and her husband had promised to meet her here. Perhaps you were married here? No, said Mrs. Wilton desolately. I was married in India. Oh, for a second I thought she died like in the like in the soothsayer's room. <laughs> like, I, that's why I thought the twist was like, she, like, that's why she didn't know why she ended up in this place or something. And like, okay, okay. So that, there was a twist, but that was not the twist. Okay. But that wasn't it. It may have been two or three days after that when she went into a small Italian restaurant in the Bayswater district. She often went out for her meals now. She had developed an exhausting cough, and she found that it somehow became less troublesome when she was in a public place looking at strange faces. In her flat, there were all the things that Hugh had used. The trunks and bags still had his name on them with the labels of places where they had been together. They were like stabs. In the restaurant, people came and went, many soldiers two among them just glancing at her in her corner. This day, as it chanced, she was rather late and there was nobody there. She was very tired. She nibbled at the food they brought her. She could almost have cried from tiredness and loneliness and the ache in her heart. This is sad. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. We need then more intercourse, suddenly, more intercourse. He was before her. Oh, good. Sitting there opposite at the table. 
It was as it was in the days of their engagement when they used sometimes to lunch at restaurants. He was not in uniform. He smiled at her and urged her to eat just as he had used in those days. I met her that afternoon as she was crossing Kensington Gardens, and she told me about it. I have been with Hugh. She seemed most happy. Did he say anything? No. Well, yes, I think he did, but I could not quite hear. My head was so very tired. The next time... I did not see her for some time after that. She found, I think, that by going to places where she had once seen him, the old church, the little restaurant, she was more certain to see him again. She never saw him at home, but in the street or the park, he would often walk along beside her. Once, he saved her from being run over. Oh, my God. She said she actually felt his hand grabbing her arm suddenly when a car was nearly upon her. She had given me the address of the clairvoyant, and it is through that strange woman that I know, or seem to know, what followed. Oh, no. Mrs. Wilton was not exactly ill last winter, not so ill at least as to keep her to her bedroom, but she was very thin, and her great handsome eyes always seemed to be staring at some point beyond, searching. There was a look in them that seamen's eyes sometimes have when they are drawing on a coast of which they are not very certain. She lived almost in solitude. She hardly ever saw anybody except when they sought her out. To those who were anxious about her, she laughed and said she was very well. One sunny morning, she was lying awake, waiting for the maid to bring her tea. The shy London sunlight peeped through the blinds. The room had a fresh and happy look. When she heard the door open, she thought that the maid had come in. Then she saw that Hugh was standing at the foot of the bed. He was in uniform this time and looked as he had looked the day he went away. Oh, Hugh, speak to me. Will you not say just one word? He smiled and threw back his head, just as he had used to in the old days at her mother's house when he wanted to call her out of the room without attracting the attention of the others. He moved towards the door, still signing to her to follow him. He picked up her slippers on his way and held them out to her as if he wanted her to put them on. She slipped out of bed hastily. It is strange that when they came to look through her things after her death, the slippers could never be found. The end. Oh my god! That was the weirdest retelling of My Fair Lady I have ever heard. <laughs> Here's your bloody slippers! <laughs> oh my god! That was so like sad and weird and creepy and like <laughs> like I don't know if that was a cautionary tale or like a hopeful tale or a tale of the macabre <laughs> I think I mean I think it was just a story about like you know sometimes um sometimes we manifest the ghosts that we need when we're in grief yeah, but it it seems like when she finally found the ghost, like, actually, she, like, just retreated, like, well, from early the world. on, early on, it did say that, like, she had lost all interest in yeah. living in the world if she wasn't going to get to be with him again. God, they were only together for 21 months. That's some, like, yep. Romeo and Juliet shit right there. Well, it's not that bad. No. Romeo and Juliet had like 21, 21 hours, 21 hours total, I think, is the, when that, that play takes place. But like, yeah, like it's some real life Romeo and Juliet. Like yeah. this was not an old woman. Like They had not been together no. for like, I mean, he clearly had died in the war is clearly yeah. what had happened. So it's a yeah. war widow. Um, no, I don't like that was just I didn't know where that was going. Like. 
And then all of a sudden it was like in first person, like she, like somebody else was telling the story the whole time. And yeah, it yeah. was, that was good. I so like, you had decided you wanted a ghost story? Yes. Because we hadn't had a ghost story in a while. And I was yeah. like, I knew we were going to be recording late at night. Yeah. So I was like, ooh, this will be a fun time to do a ghost story. Because <laughs> it's, ooh. ooh. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, we hadn't done a ghost story since I'd been back, and yeah, um, yeah, it was just I like I looked at, well, I actually started with H.G. Wells because we talked about the Always star. A good choice. We talked about the star last week, right? And then I found like an H.G. Wells almost ghost story kind of thing, but it was way too long, and then that one led me to like an Ambrose Beer story. And then that led me to uh, Sir Johnny Bangs, who I realized you and Emily had just done, like, no, I mean, it wasn't just, not that long ago, it was like four but, months ago. Yeah. Um, so I was like, eh, not that one. And then, like, I, so then I finally, like, this just kind of popped up um, in an article with a bunch of these other people. And I was like, I was like, who's this person? I don't know cool. this person. How fun. <laughs> yeah. 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 And he's friends with Oscar Wilde, so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Oscar Wilde liked him. He can't be all bad. Can't be can't be all that bad, you know. Yeah. Oscar Wilde was cool with him. Um, yeah, I like this. I like the style. It was very like, ooh, <laughs> but yeah. also very like touching, but without being like smack you in the face because they kept saying intercourse. So it's like, <laughs> 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 so I got really sucked in, but I just kept going. And then you then there's something about semen's eyes and like I don't know. I just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I very intentionally tried to blow past semen eyes. You tried to blow past semen eyes? How yeah. good of you Had to blow yeah. blow past those semen eyes? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You you just you you just have to keep going. You just gotta keep. You just gotta blow. Keep blowing. Just, just, just keep keep on going. Just blow right through. Blow right through those semen. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, We're a classy bunch here at Campfire Classics. <laughs> Yeah, well, we've so we have maintained we have maintained a good balance of dick and tongue humor. Yes, we have. You're welcome, listeners. <laughs> I almost didn't know Henry one too because that that came up as a. Those are always fun. Those are fun, but yeah, yeah, I was I was glad I found a new author. I love that we were 103 episodes in and we continue to stumble upon these like hidden hidden gems that were like quite like huge writers at the time so yeah, yeah. well they're out there and yeah. that's that's kind of why, why we, we do, do this, this right? yeah yeah <laughs> like that's why it's kind of fun it's like hey you think you're gonna run out of material but art will always win <laughs> there will art be more will uh art will find art away art will <laughs> find a way thank you thank you uh i think jurassic park comes out this week yeah <laughs> Jurassic World Dominion. Uh, Domi- I can't believe they're still making those movies. <laughs> really, the only good one is the first one, y'all. <laughs> the yeah. rest have just continued to be weird. And uh, I every time I see a new Jurassic Park movie, I just go, why do they keep making dinosaurs? Did they learn nothing from the yeah. first one? Everyone died except the four, like, five main characters. Like, come on, guys. Come on. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, just just stop. Just, just stop. Well, the other thing is, like, why do they keep being surprised? Why, how do people yeah. keep being surprised? They keep being how surprised keep being that surprised raptors are going to kill people. Yeah. Like, yeah, we know. We've Everyone has seen them now. They're all over the news. We get it. Like, they literally, in, like, two or three, like, didn't a dy- they bring a dinosaur to like fucking San Francisco they, or something? They, they crash into the dock at either California or New uh, York. San Diego. I, I think it's San Diego because they come from Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or like from those islands. Yeah. Um, that area in the Pacific. But like, yeah, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, any any reason to get the original cast back? I'm I'm intrigued by that. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm probably gonna see it because they got the entire Jeff original Bloom yeah. and Laura Dern and Sam Neill yeah. and all of them. Yeah, yeah, and I think the kids are in it. I think the kids are in it. <laughs> Those kids, I, I think awesome. they are in it. So I don't know. We'll find out. But is BD Wong in it? He is because Good. he's in the preview going, "We messed up." <laughs> he straight up oh, says, "Yeah, that's right. We messed up. <laughs> we messed. Up. Oh, hey, my bad." He's like, "Whoops, a daisy." 
<laughs> yeah. He's anyway, a busy now. He's uh, he's, he's off. Uh, he's directing. Uh, he's directing the new stage musical based on the movie Mr. Holland's Opus. Yes, he is, and he's just. I mean, he's been slaying it. He's won Tony Awards, and yeah. you know, B.D. Wong's not 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 hurting for art. <laughs> and it all started when he fucked up the dinosaurs. When he fucked up dinosaurs. <laughs> And he was uh, um, the assistant in Father of the Bride, the movie, which uh, oh, yeah. he was Frank's assistant, which so my childhood is very heavily influenced by B.D. Wong. <laughs> Thank there you, B.D. Wong. Thank you. <laughs> so, hey, listener, what'd you think of that one? Uh, did you enjoy that story? Did you enjoy our completely unrelated banter that just <laughs> became absolute childish garbage by the end? Did you enjoy skillet licking? I did. Uh, No matter how you felt about any of those things, please do shoot us a message. Let us know what your thoughts were. And go ahead and include in your message to us this week's secret passcode, which is Intercorpse. Intercorpse. (laughs) You would think this was a Halloween episode. It's not. (laughs) This is June. This is June. June is busting out all over time. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, that's it. That's all I got. I'm, I'm, I'm spent. Yeah. I'm going to, I'll be, uh, I'll be in Utah next week. So we'll record in person. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, on that note, or those two notes. This has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. I don't even know how to respond to this. <laughs> That's kind of what I was going for. I just, I just wanted to win this ending. You won. You won. You won.